co-founder of The Shack with me, and we're going to jump into some great conversation right after this. Welcome to Kingdom Talks, where we engage leaders, teachers, creative artists, and everyday people in conversations that awaken listeners to new revelations of the Kingdom Age. All of our courses, community conversations, partnership links, and much more can be found on our website, kingdomtalksmedia.com. Now, enjoy the show. All right, welcome everybody to Kingdom Talks. I just am excited to have Paul Young on. Uh, before we got started here, I just was sharing with Paul how excited I am to have him on the show because honestly, Paul, uh, I, I'm not 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 ashamed to say this at all, but you're one of my favorite people, and I've really desired to con- you know connect with you a lot more because uh, you just carry a solid, balanced, loving message that I think the body of Christ really needs to hear. So thank, thank you for being on here. Absolute again. honor to be with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I um, was wanting to talk about how important it is to love ourselves and what that means to actually love ourselves and how do we get there? Because, you know, uh, I love your your movie in the book, The Shack, in that it shows a man who's just beaten up on himself and he's doing it so badly that it's affecting his family and his friends because he's hating himself so badly. It comes out with to other people. And so if you kind of reverse that, then when we are at peace with ourselves and we actually learn to love ourselves, that, you know, that's when we begin to truly love others. And I've heard you speak and share about how you've been able to engage with people of other faiths and, and people that, you know, most Christians would avoid, but yet you've engaged with them and are able to show them the love of God. Um, yeah, I even engage with Christians. Look at that. <laughs> Yeah, and honestly, I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes, sometimes those are the hardest people to engage with. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Jesus went to look for the lost, and I think he he found a lot of us. And uh, and if we if we don't know who we are when we get together, we cause all kinds of havoc. And um, so, here's my question to you, Gil: Why would a person not love themselves? Well, you know. Uh, speaking from experience, because like the first 50 years of my life, I, I really hated myself. And when my wife and I would talk and we would have some serious talks and I was in a position where I could be a little bit vulnerable, I would tell her, you know, I, I loathe myself. I really do at the core. And that was, you know, because of things that had happened in my childhood that yep, made me, me feel like I was not, wor- you know, I was unworthy. Uh, I was worthless. I was not valued. So that would be my, my short answer, I guess. Now, what, what changed? Uh, I finally got a vision or I, I, I guess I, I chose to begin listening to what Father really was saying about me. That was honestly the, the thing that changed. It was just spending time in the presence of the Father and listening to what he said and choosing, choosing to believe what he was saying about me and letting it permeate every fiber of my being and begin to change who, what I thought of myself. And, uh, yeah. and now, honestly, I mean, I, honestly, I can get up in the morning and say, wow, I love myself. I really do. It's, I know, you know, for, for you and I, because we're a little bit older, gen- I'm an older generation than you, but, but um, a lot of us, we grew up in a world where to love yourself was to think too highly of yourself. Right. Right. There was this, this idea that, well, it, underlying it is a really bad theology that we just assumed was true. Yeah. 
right? And it and and we got it from all the way back to well Augustine and Calvin and Luther and you know uh, Luther's big statement that uh, we are snow covered dung, and that's uh, that's the polite way to say it that that you're you're a piece of snow covered dung, and um, and that that's the way we were supposed to um, carry ourselves. Um, within the presence of God, and and anything, any thought that you had uh, that was higher than that would be pride. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, there's a song that came out a few years ago that I just kind of despise, and 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 it goes, "You are good. You are good. There is nothing good in me." Right. H- how can you love yourself at all if there's nothing good in you? Right. If you are just snow-covered dung, you know, which is piece of dung theology and um but we thought that that was the truth of who we are we're totally depraved we have a sin nature mm-hmm. um you know how else could we send little little children to eternal conscious torment you know they they had they had to be that's what you do with pieces of dung and uh and so you know i, I think a lot of how we feel about ourselves is not just it doesn't just come from our experiences and a lot of us had very difficult experiences i did um the combination of even even a very angry rigid uh authoritarian father who who didn't know how to be soft at all he was an abusive disciplinarian and um and then sexual abuse that that will teach you that it's true you know what god has said about you is true you are a piece of trash and uh and then you're struggling with well if that's the truth of who i am how in the world do you think i'm supposed to get to a place where i mean how do i how do i love someone as a piece of snow covered dung i mean how does that even work yeah. You know, so so we read the books and we hear the sermons and we hear the stories and and we try our best. We we really want to love well, but we really know at the core of our being we're just a piece of trash and and so it's all fake. I mean, if we're going to be honest, it's all fake. And that is so so true. I mean, it, it's incredibly true. I, I I was a pastor during those years for 7 years I pastored a church and for me, it was about my sacrifice to everybody else that God loved, but I'm a piece of trash. Right. And that's what, you know, I never spoke that out loud, but I definitely thought it. And, you know, again, when I was alone with my with my wife, I would, you know, tell her what I really thought of myself. But, um, yeah. Good for you. Good for you for doing that, because I, I couldn't even do that. Yeah. I had to maintain such a perfectionist performance orientation because my ocean of shame was so huge that that any imperfection would tap into it and up would come because here's the, here's the difference between shame and guilt and it's really significant guilt is in the realm of behavior mm-hmm. i have done something wrong and so it's it's saying look the way of your being you have done something wrong you've hurt people whatever you know you you've sinned you've broken hearts you've betrayed you've lied you whatever that's in the realm of behavior. Shame is in the realm of what's called ontology, which is being. Ontos is the Greek word to be, yeah. being. And so what's the truth of your being? Well, shame says, see, you are a piece of trash. You know, you're just a piece of snow-covered dung. That's the truth about you. 
And so shame is an attack against the truth of who we are. Guilt is a statement about our choices and the ripple effects of our choices. So they, they're in totally different realms. Guilt is legit. We've got to deal with it. We've got to own what we've done. We've got to come out of hiding. We've got to destroy the secrets in our lives. But shame, shame has absolutely no place in the human experience. And yet it dominates along with fear. Yeah, those are the two greatest promoters of false identities, you know, me making a performa to present myself. And God, frankly, is opposed to false identities. He's not opposed to you. Right. He loves you, but he's opposed to everything that you've attracted or embraced or or falsely trusted that is not of love's kind. You know, that is so, so valuable to understand that, that he loves us and that he, you know, if anything, he's trying to get rid of the stuff that's in us that keeps us from experiencing the abundant life. And I, I guess I think of, um, you know, the word judge in the Hebrew uh, that, you know, we think of yep. judgment in the Christian church. It's been totally twisted to where judgment is this thing that we fear and that we're afraid of. And we just, you know, that's the last thing that we're ever going to have to face, you know, is that fear of judgment. But, you know, the, the big judgment. And yet, you know, the word judge in in uh, Hebrew is Dan, which is a Dalif and a noon, which the Dalif is a door and the noon is to life. So to be judged is actually a door to life. And it's like, it's man. Beautiful. I want to look, I look forward to being judged. In fact, even in my own prayer time, I'm half the time I'm like, I, I can tell something's off, you know, but I, I can't pinpoint it right now, Father. So judge me, show me what it is that's in me that doesn't belong there so I can be drawn closer to you. Let, let, me, let me give some of your folks a little help with this because what you're talking about is so significant in the life of many of us who grew up in the modern evangelical world. That's my people you know, and uh, the holiness movement and all of that. I'm a missionary kid and a preacher's kid. I'm the firstborn. I went to Bible school and seminary. I, I know how to I know how to do the religion of Christianity. Yeah, I just yeah. didn't know how to do the trust with Jesus thing. And um, and I grew up with God as a judge, um, but I didn't know that the God as a judge that we have embraced is an absolutely different model of judge than the early church had. Yeah. And, Big time. and so we inherited our view of God as judge from people like Augustine and Calvin and Luther and uh, who, who all said beautiful things, but also terrible things. Mm -hmm. And they were all lawyers. Yeah. Augustine was a lawyer. Calvin was a lawyer. Luther was a lawyer. And so they came up with a what's called a forensic uh, view of atonement or a forensic theology. And forensic just means legal. Mm -hmm. So so. Of their lawyers. I mean, you got to come up with a model for God as a judge. Well, we know what a judge is. He's he's in the courtroom, yeah. right? And so that's what's been handed down to us. And so in our minds and in our imagination, what's been presented to us is a God who is there to judge us. Now, here's the problem. We know that God knows. Like, there's nothing hidden here. Right. And so I'm not going to go in there and try to say like, oh, no, I'm actually uh, innocent. I didn't do it. And uh, whatever. Right. No. And so we walk in guilty. We're we're guilty. And and so God is going to what he's going to do two things. He's going to judge us as guilty or innocent. So I mean, we already know that. And then he's going to uh, pronounce uh, the prosecute the um, 
uh, the sentencing, mm. right? He's going to pronounce a sentence, yeah. and we know what that is. So, so you, we go into the courtroom, we're going to be guilty. Uh, under the law, the sentence is death, and the death as we've defined it is eternal conscious torment. That's the death. So in this forensic model, we have an ace in the hole, right? Jesus. Right, right. So, so we walk into the courtroom, and Jesus is going to be our defense attorney. But here's one of the things that's a problem. You have to pay him. If you don't pay Jesus, he can't do anything for you. That's a problem, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's really up to you. So when Jesus mm -hmm. came it's and back on you. finished the work, it didn't actually do anything. It only opened up the possibility that now you had access for him to pay so that he could step between you and God, but it's not really Save God, you from it's him. the law. It's the law, Yeah, yeah. right? So because in this view, God is actually subservient to the law. God may love you, but I'm sorry, his hands are tied by what? By the law. And so, but Jesus steps in and he accomplishes two things in this scenario. One is that he's going to take the punishment. Not really. He's going to take what seems to be a punishment, but not the real one. Because if the true punishment is eternal conscious torment, Jesus is not going to do that. Right. He's, he's just, he's, which is a problem, right? So he, what he's going to do is he's going to be killed. And, you know, the judge is going to pour out all the sentencing on Jesus. That's our model. Mm -hmm. and, and that way, God the Father is off the hook in the sense that he can act compassionately. And except that law. he's going to pour out his fury on Jesus. That's our model for a judge. Yeah. And it's like it has a million problems with it. And we just we just assumed it was true. I mean, yeah. in, in my generation, we just assumed it was true. The early church had an, a radically different model of judge, which is much more in line with how you see things. And that is they had a name for their judge, God as a judge. He's called the great physician. They had a they had a hospital therapeutic doctor model of God as a judge. And so they didn't have a courtroom God. They had a, they had a hospital God. And in fact, um, the Hippocratic Oath comes right out of all of this to do no harm, right? And so in that model, in the, in the legal model, do you want to go see the judge? No, not really, but right. you kind of have to, you know. Um, but in the hospital model, do you want to go see the judge? Of course you do. Why would you go see the doctor? because you're sick and you're broken and you're hurt and something's not working right. And so you go to the doctor so that the doctor can judge you. The doctor can say, ah, I know exactly what's wrong with you. And then pronounces sentencing, which is, we're gonna do an operation. We're gonna take this wayward piece out of your body that's attacking the rest of you. We're going to give you these particular prescriptions. We're going to give you some shots, whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but what's the intention? In the legal model, the intention is to be just in the sense of upholding the law, right? In the doctor model, the, the intention is to heal, is to restore, yes. is to make you well, right? And this is why somebody like uh, George McDonald, who was the one that was basically C.S. Lewis's mentor and um, led C.S. Lewis into a deepening relationship with Jesus. And um, 
And George MacDonald wrote all kinds of adult fantasy books, but he wrote this fantastic book called Unspoken Sermons because he wasn't allowed to preach them. <laughs> and, and in it, he says, if you trust, trust. And trust is the real word for believe in the New Testament. Uh, mm -hmm. Pistis in the Greek is the word to trust. If you trust the goodness of God, you will run to this God with your arms wide open and you will say, please come and judge me to the core and burn out of me everything that keeps me from being fully human Amen. and fully alive. And that's exactly what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. You know, that's that's one of my go-tos. It's, 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 you know, and it comes out of, out of intimacy and, uh, you know, our time is flying by pretty quickly here. Um, so actually let's take a break. And when we come back, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to talk about, uh, the intimacy and how important that is in this whole process. So Absolutely. we'll be back right after this. Hey there. Thank you for joining Kingdom Talks. We are taking a short break to share with you the life-changing online course called Ultimate Impact. Gil and Adina do an amazing job taking the complicated and making it simple and applicable for your life. Ecclesia groups are using this course to shift their thinking into the next age paradigm. Yeshua spoke of power, authority, love, and oneness that we have yet to walk in. So if you're ready to deconstruct limiting beliefs in order to step into what Father is doing now, this course is for you. Sign up today at KingdomTalksMedia.com under the Courses tab. Now, back to the show. All right, I'm back with Paul Young, and uh, we left with just uh, taking a look at intimacy and how it plays a part in this whole process because um, I, I really, for me, I connect with Father, and it's in that place of intimacy that I trust Him, as you were saying, because I've grown to know him for what he really thinks of me. He's not out to get me. You know, I used to really believe, you know, that he was watching all my P's and Q's. And if I made one mistake, you know, just here, there's another mark. We'll take that one. <laughs> but rather... How many times did you rededicate your life? Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Over and over, you know, repentance, uh, you know, repentance is a good thing. But it's changing our mind to follow him. But it's in that place of intimacy and trust that I can just open up and and say father judge me so you know intimacy I, I think is a major part of this whole process what do you what do you tell people or or teach people in terms of how do they get there how do they get to this place of of finding the the freedom i think that's a big sure. piece of this whole process is finding the freedom so i'm thinking i'm thinking about um which word is more intimate trust or obedience ah uh. Well, for me, that's easy, but <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually easy for everybody yeah. in terms of, yeah, they recognize that trust is much more intimate than obedience Yeah, because I can, I can obey the law and there's, there's no relational reality to that whatsoever. It's, it's the law, yeah. right? And, um, and so trust though, trust implies relationship, implies connection, implies personhood right yeah. and and where law doesn't so a lot of us a lot of us actually prefer legalism and religion to relationship and and you know that's why we read the books about how to be married well so that you know so that we can try to perform it so that you know we know what we're doing so others need to live up to their part of the deal you know yeah and uh, 
there's a big difference between reading the books about marriage or about love and actually knowing how to love. Mm -hmm. And uh, in, in my life, I didn't have a clue. When I married Kim and she married me, I didn't know how to love. I, I look back at that time and I did not have a clue. And the reason was I was so damaged, but I'd read the books. And it turns out, turns out I didn't think about, I didn't believe this at the time. I didn't believe that I was actually smart or creative, but it turns out I am, which only empowered my facility to hide, right? It was, it just, yes, yeah, yeah. It, it was awful. And, and so I substituted knowledge about loving for actual loving. And I substituted obedience to the law for trust. And all of those things give you a false sense of proximity. You know, I, I don't believe you're ever separated from God at all. Anybody. I agree. And uh, I don't think that's a, a, a biblical reality whatsoever. But, but we always, we can turn our face away. We can ignore the fact that love looks at us. And, um, and we're constantly offering our our false personas of perf perfectionist performance, you know, mm -hmm. and um, there's that there's that verse that just scary as all get out when I was growing up. And that is, you know, you're many will say this is Jesus, right? Many will say to me on that day, we did miracles in your name. We we healed the sick in your name. We cast out demons and preach the gospel. And Jesus will go depart from me into everlasting destruction. I don't even know you right yeah yeah and we're like well that's a little intense yeah and and uh what does that even mean well it means that god won't build a relationship with a false persona i love that right that's what it means mm -hmm. he says i i want this you you have done all this stuff thinking that that's a relationship you have substituted an actual conversation with a performance that you think is what I want. I don't want that. I want you. Yeah. And so I want that falseness to be absolutely and forever destroyed in the fire of my love so love that, that you and I can actually have a relationship. Right? That is so good. And, you know, and, and I feel so, you know, my heart goes out to all the people that are even maybe listening to this right now that hear what we're saying but they don't get it or they can't get over that hump of constantly beating themselves up, you know, condemning themselves, judging themselves. Uh, what... I, I get the emails, right? Because people read the shack and they I get emails from my people in there. And one of the themes is I am terrified to take the risk. To trust that God is like this and you're wrong. Right. I mean, uh -huh, that's the uh -huh. catch 22. Right. And um, and and I'm like, so you want to spend eternity with this unpredictable, ambivalent, distant, um, non-relational, you know, it, it's almost like you have a capacity to love your children in a way that God can't. Right. <laughs> and it's like some of the basic. Yeah. superstructure of our belief system has to be tampered with and and that's part of the work of the holy spirit and and some of us need bulldozers and wrecking balls and others of us need the kind care of a restorer like an art restorer who begins to peel back all the layers of the false stuff that's been put onto the 
the painting and whatever and slowly reveals the masterpiece that has already been in there yeah so instead of instead of you are snow-covered dung you are actually dung covered diamond right yeah and so yeah, that's good it's it's the belief systems that keep us locked in and and here's a key if you don't have consistent joy and your life is riddled with fear and you move in the direction of control then you don't know who loves you to the degree that you're afraid to that degree you don't know how much you're loved yeah that's first john right perfect love casts out fear but don't we have to fear god that's not what it means right right, right. and um it's not it's not the fear that you're afraid of it's it's like the awe and the magnificence of something too beautiful for words it's overwhelming in its in its presence and revelation and um and so but no perfect love casts out fear the one who yeah. fears is not perfected in love and there is no fear in love and, and there's so many verses like that that are you know blatant when we look at them and we we try to tiptoe around them or jump through hoops to explain them in a different way rather than receiving them for what they say. You know, yeah. the perfect love casts out all fear and he who fears is not perfected in love. Uh, you know, those are pretty straightforward. And those were, were they, they you know, those verses and many others have been really just hitting me over the last few years of, wait a minute, do I believe this or not? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Is that true or not? Yeah. It's like Jesus coming and saying, look, you've seen me, you've seen the father, you've seen me love on the leper, you've seen the father, you've seen me play with the children, you've seen the father. And we go like, yeah, we know better than you. Now, actually, right. actually, we know that God is because we read the Old Testament. I mean, goodness gracious, he's just always trying to kill somebody. And, uh, and then he poured his wrath out on you. I mean, and, and so we have this grid through which yeah. we look at a, a clear statement in scripture, a clear revelation of God's character and nature. And by the time it gets through this grid, it's all twisted up in our minds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's why, that's why conversations about some of this become so essential. And a lot of my people, they can't have this conversation in a public sense. And, and that's sad because it is, it's, it's very grievous. Yeah. And, but I get it. I, I know what's at risk here and they're just scared. Mm -hmm. um, they're scared that change will push them into eternal conscious torment. You know? there, there's that. And then there's also that Explosion. the only way they've ever been able to grow a ministry or a church is through the, the manipulation with fear. If you take that away, what have you got to keep people coming? Well, that's where, you know, you said it already that if you're operating in some of this stuff, and you think that you need that fear to get people to receive Jesus, you really don't know the love of God because the love of God is so much more powerful and it's going to bring people and people are going to stay versus the fear factor seems to kind of waver. You know, people come in a little fearful, you know, got to receive Jesus so I don't go to hell. And then a little over time, they kind of start all, all, shifting back. All religion needs three things, right? All religion needs separation. I've got to be separated from God. So if if a religion can't convince you that you're separated from God, then they have no job security, right? Yeah. Second thing they need is magic. And, and, and the magic will, is what gets you from one place to the other, right? It's the abracadabra. Yeah. And if you do the right magic, God doesn't have a choice, right? It's just like, ah, oh, you did the magic. You're you know, in. Somebody told you the magic. Let's, let's create missions organizations to spread the magic. 
Mm-hmm. And the sinner's prayer is magic. Yes. Right. Yes. And absolutely. That's, and I grew up as a missionary kid. I know that that you know missions had an underlying drive of fear for two reasons. One is if we didn't get people to say the magic words, then uh, their blood would be on our hands. And the second thing is that as soon as we could tell everybody about it, then Jesus would come back. So we had our eschatology was linked to the same fear, right? And um, and it's, it's the third thing that religion needs is a sacrifice. So it's not God who is other-centered, self-giving, self-sacrificing. That is the, the definition of love, agape, right? Mm-hmm. Other-centered, self-giving, self-sacrificial. Religion is self-centered, right? It, it's... Um, um, so other-centered, self-giving, it is, we want you to give us, right, it traffics in human souls, and and it wants somebody to sacrifice. Yeah. Somebody's got to pay for this. And uh, and that's what that's what crucifies Jesus. It's not God the Father that does it. Right, it's, right. It's religion and empire together that do it. But but again, you know, here we go. We've got this grid, and and we're even afraid of the goodness of God. But part of it is that built into us is an antagonism to that which is not of love's kind and this need for a sacrifice. So part of it is there's a there's a sense that we can't just let everybody get away with stuff. And, and, and the beautiful thing about God as a judge who is a fiery fury of love. I'm, I'm all for this. I love the fire of God, of God who is love. And everybody is going to get salted with fire. That's John's gospel, right? Right. We're all going to be salted, salt and fire, all restorative, all curative, all. But the, but the intense, the intensity of that fire is like the burning bush. That is, that fire is intending to burn away everything in you that is not real. Come on, yeah. Right. Any lie, any secret, yep. anything, and and not. And not for the purpose of humiliating you, but for the purpose of healing you. So when you have a verse like, you know, everything you've done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops, you know, and growing up, I'm like, oh, I hate that verse because it, it to me was a promise of humiliation. Right, right. And shame. Yeah. But it really is a promise of redemption because the unexposed is the unhealed. And when it says the Holy Spirit has come to convict the That's world good. of sin, righteousness, and judgment, the word convict is the word to expose. Yeah. And and it's got to be brought into the light. And but we can't even talk to each other because we're so terrified. Yeah. That that I'll be exposed to as the as the piece of crap that everyone you know I've always believed yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well. We've got so much more to talk about, and again, the time is just flying by. So we're actually going to end this section, and we'll uh, pick it up in part two. So I encourage everyone to go and check out part two. If you want to see the whole thing uh, all at once, you can go become a partner at KingdomTalksMedia.com. But uh, right now, we're going to go ahead and, and end this section. When we come back uh, for part two, one of the things I really want to look at is... Um, uh, helping people receive, you know, what you're talking about. Because again, people are hearing us talk about this, but I know that there have been people that are just hitting their, banging their head against the wall because they they don't understand how to really receive this. So I want to dive into that a little bit more in part two. Then again, Paul, thank you so much for being on here. Blessings and honor. Um, look forward to our part two. Take care. Bye bye. 
You too, bye-bye. Thank you for taking time out to listen to Kingdom Talks. You can find out more about Kingdom Talks Media and our mission to unite in faith and grow as mature sons at kingdomtalksmedia.com. Please continue to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Spreaker, Spotify, iTunes, Fringe Radio Network, and many more places. Go to our website to find links to all of our media outlets, as well as fantastic online courses and conferences, including the life-changing interactive course, Ultimate Impact. And last but not least, we ask that you consider partnering with us to fulfill the mission to get these messages to the world. To become a partner, go to the Partnership tab on our website. Thank you, and until next time, live a blessed life and keep carrying us in your heart and sharing us wherever hearts are open.